Hi, and welcome to the Trusted Executive Podcast. I'm here with Dr. John Blakey, the founder of the Trusted Executive Foundation, which helps CEOs and leaders across all sectors around the globe create a new standard of leadership defined by trustworthiness. He's been named a top 100 global thought leader in trust by Trust Across America, and his work has been featured in Forbes, BBC News, HuffPost, and the Sunday Times. So welcome, John. Good morning, David. Really looking forward to you, uh, talking with you and uh, our listeners today on the topic of uh, habit number four. No, choosing to be honest, I'm really looking forward to this. Now, for those that perhaps here for the first time, the idea of this podcast is to help you as a listener to gain a practical understanding of the potential benefits of the trusted executive model to you through taking a deep dive with each of the nine leadership habits which underpin the model. And as you say in the book, John, you didn't just dream these nine habits over a glass of red wine. They're a product of six years of evidence-based research at Aston Business School for your doctorate, involving over 500 board-level leaders. And with a deep passion, you offer the business world an academically rigorous and relevant answer to the question, how do I trust, do trust, and why does it matter? So, John, from your research and as an introduction for those listening, why should they care about trust? And in a nutshell, what did you discover in your research? Yeah, why should you care about trust? Well, trust is the one thing that changes everything, as Stephen Covey said. Um, There are very many research uh, studies that show the various positive impacts of trust on outcomes ranging from creativity to employee engagement to bottom line profitability to well-being. Um, you know, the whole range of uh, of stakeholder benefits that come from building a high trust culture. Um, And what I found in my own research, the headline findings from my own research, is that the single most important factor in building a high trust culture is the behavior of the CEO and the senior leadership team. So that leading by example, that role modeling, the tone is set at the top. And that uh, example is what ripples trust behaviors into an organization. And The other key outcome of my research is this model, the nine habits of trust, that if you as a CEO or a senior leader want to role model this way of leading, how do you do it? And uh, the nine habits of trust is the the only behavioral based model of trust that we know of. Um, So it's a very practical, holistic model that allows you to do trust as well as to think about trust. Wonderful. I love that. And uh, we were sharing before we came on air that, uh, you know, those that are using the model really understand how it gets them to reflect and think and really, as you say, do trust rather than just think about trust. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big word, isn't it? It's a big word, uh, trust. It can be very um, intimidating, I think. Mm. If you break it down into nine manageable chunks, that's something I think most leaders can then uh, work at and develop over a period of time. And therefore, we're demystifying this word trust to a large extent. Mm. And thank you, John. I hadn't thought of that before, but I think that's an important point to make. I know from your work, of course, you do offer, you know, one day or a workshop or something around it. But my sense is, I'm sure you'll agree, trust is not something that's just done once in a one day workshop. It's more a sense. It's a journey, isn't it? I would have thought. Yeah. We talk about the the journey of trust and uh, that's, that's very much how we see it, that it is one step at a time, working the trust muscles, and, and building that uh, capability across a team over a period of time. So talking of journey, today we're moving on to a deep dive, as you said, with habit number four, choosing to be honest. Now, we're moving on this one in that habit number four sits under the pillar of integrity, the first three 
were under the pillar of ability. So could you say a few words about this transition from pillar of ability to pillar of integrity, please? Yeah, so the formula for trustworthiness, for, for me to be worthy of your trust, is that trustworthiness is ability times integrity times benevolence. And that's a formula for trust that's been in the academic research for over 20 years. Mm. So the nine habits model sits under those three pillars. And, where, and we have three habits under each pillar. So three habits of ability, three habits of integrity, three habits of benevolence. So today we're shifting from the habits of ability to the habits of integrity. So we're moving from building trustworthiness through demonstrating uh, ability through delivery, coaching, consistency, into building trustworthiness through demonstrating the habits of integrity, be honest, be open, be humble. And I think you speak in the book, and I, and I resonate with this, that you talk about this, this second pillar of integrity being about walking the talk. Yeah, it's, uh, this is where um, I suppose that uh, message about leading by example mm. is particularly critical that we all know that uh, do as I do as I say, not as I do, you know, can, can be a, a way that, that some leaders operate. But with trust, we have to, um, you know, do as I do. That walk in the talk, particularly, I think, with the habits of integrity is where saying one thing and doing another, the cost of that in terms of trust is the greatest, I think, in terms of these pillars of integrity. Because integrity, the word, you think about it, integrity, integer, it's about wholeness. It's about that 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 wholeness and and uh, that consistency of of, of behaviours um, uh, that that we see as uh, demonstrating integrity. Okay, so let's get into the the pillar of integrity. Um, as you said, this the the habit number four is choosing to be honest. And I've always said that I love the word choosing because it makes it very intentional for me. It's not a one off. And as you say in the book, a habit is an accumulation of choices. So we're building on that. So for you, John, what is the habit choosing to be honest and what benefits does it provide? Yeah, choosing to be honest. Well, we all know what honesty is, don't we? Uh, or do we? But in, the, in this uh, model, honesty is about two things. It's about telling the truth and speaking your truth. And you might say, okay, what, what's the difference there? You know, well, telling the truth, there are some things that are factually correct and there are some things that are not factually correct. So if I say to you two and two equals five, I'm not telling you the truth. But if I say two and two equals four, then I'm telling you, you know, the truth. So these things are factually correct. But there is also another aspect of honesty, which is speaking your truth. So I have opinions about things, but they're opinions. They're not the truth. But me being honest with you is to share fully of my opinions. And you might share fully of your opinions with me, and we might choose to disagree. So honesty is partly about facts, but it's also partly about being free or being in an environment where you feel safe to share your opinions, your thoughts, your feelings, your views, uh, which might be different from, from other people that are in that team or in that situation. So that's just a little bit about you know, what it is. Now, in terms of the importance of honesty in this model, the research demonstrated that honesty is the most important of the nine habits. They're all important, but if you asked me to say which is the most important, it is honesty. So this habit stands out in that respect. And what we can also say from our uh, survey, our nine habits survey that we've carried out now with thousands of, of senior leaders uh, in different sectors, 
we can also say that this is the habit that on average, most leaders do the best. So that's encouraging, isn't it? It's the most important habit. And it's the habit that it seems that we are best at. But the bad news, that's the good news. The bad news honesty, on honesty is that there are various studies that assess the degree to which um, employees feel that they've experienced dishonesty in organizational life. And one of them that I quote in the book is that 51% of employees believe they've been lied to by their manager. So even though we are strong at this, there's clearly room to do it better. And one of the things I think that uh, in this age that we live in now, the age of transparency, the age of social media, uh, the age of you know a lack of deference to people in authority, there is a ruthless bar now being set on standards of honesty in leadership life. And therefore, even though this is a habit that we might think we're doing well, we're going to do, have to do it even better in five years' time because the bar on honesty is, is, is rising ruthlessly high. That is the expectation that our stakeholders put on leadership in the 21st century. Um, and what used to be called gamesmanship, spin, exaggeration, those things are things of the past now. Uh, we, we cannot be lukewarm about this habit of honesty. Thank you, John. Some really good points there. And I think you touched on a point that's that's been important again in the research. I think it was, well, I know it was um, Google found that, that one of the most important things on effectiveness as teams was actually psychological safety. And really that's down to, do I feel safe to actually share my truth? So I think this comes into this particular habit. And of course, what's for me is what's what's around here on choosing to be honest is understanding that actually as you've spoken about the truth and my truth but i think we spoke we spoke before we came on about actually perhaps being in a leadership team how there is this uh, psychological safety where people can share their truth so this is the truth for me and still have an ongoing conversation and not feel closed down and i know from my experience in some of the large corporations in the uk sometimes it's the leader sometimes others can actually look to close down debate or conversation so other people's truth doesn't get shared it gets closed down yeah and i think david this links very strongly to the diversity and inclusion Mm. uh, agenda that we have in, in organizational life you know that if you if you are going to create teams that are more diverse, whatever the dimension of diversity is that we want to focus on, you are going to get different expressions of the truth from a diverse team. You know, um, it isn't going to be homogenous. Um, there's going to be different views of reality. And as a leader, I think one of the challenges in, in, in that, you know, that, that evolution to, to greater diversity is to be comfortable with that expression of honesty uh, in those teams by people uh, of diverse views and to not, uh, as you say, want to establish a group thing or, or a norming around a single view of, of reality. Um, I think that's that's something that sort of conveniently, a convenient simplification that worked for us in the past, you know, in, in what I call the industrial age, uh, but in the social age. I don't think that's going to work and leaders are going to need to be comfortable with a much more diverse expression of the truth in this world, which is messy, it's complicated, it's difficult. Um, but I think that's the world that we have to become more uh, comfortable with and more agile with navigating. Absolutely, John. And, and thank you for, for bringing up the topic of diversity, because for me, being you talk in the book about being brutally honest. And I think for me, being brutally honest, it, it, it's, it can be the norm. It can be easy for me as a white man to, to not talk about 
diversity. And I think for me, what one aspect is in the book about brutally honest about our imperfections, but in the area of diversity, I know for me, it's about being brutally honest with my my biases. You know, people talk about white privilege, don't they? White superiority, all of the um, you know the biases that are there, which I may not see until I actually do my own work on it. And that cannot that can be hard. I know one of my mentors told me around diversity, David, you need to get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. So I think there's a sense with this piece of work to around diversity and being choosing to be honest as a whole, that actually there is an aspect of choosing to be comfortable with getting uncomfortable. And I think sometimes organizations can choose not to be uncomfortable. So the truth then doesn't come to or choosing to be honest is just slightly nuanced and it's it's not it doesn't come fully to the table then and people know that i think john don't they people sense when when uh, someone is not being honest yeah i think we have a sixth instinct um particularly these days and with the younger generation i think we have there is a sixth instinct for that lack of honesty mm-hmm. you know because people are savvy they're educated and through technology they have become very sensitive to uh, things that are hidden, things that are clever, you know, um, but are actually distortions. If ever there was a reason to sort of uh, feel that you could bluff your way through that, those days have, have gone. And uh, we, we, every week, I think we see examples of leaders who, who are misjudging the speed at which this is happening. And their reputation is lost very quickly through misjudging the expectations around honesty in public life and uh, an organizational life. Probably the most recent example, uh, Bill Michael, the chairman of the, the former chairman of KPMG, who I think, again, misjudged the climate. What he did 10 years ago wouldn't have made a headline. But today, in 2021, it cost him his job. And I think that's a measure of the shift in sands uh, around the expectations, particularly in this area of um, being honest. And also, John, I'm going to, I've just thought of this one, actually. I love the word juxtaposition, the juxtaposition of integrity and honesty. And I want to give an example, and, and I, I don't expect an answer, because I'm not sure I have one on here. But I think it's it, part of choosing to be honest is to have these conversations. So, for example, I chose, I, sorry, I spoke on my podcast to one of the um, global head of tax of KPMG. And I asked him, they're working with the clients, choosing to be honest and declare the tax. But at the same time, I asked him about, well, will your organization start signing up for the fair tax mark? And of course, choosing to be honest for them was actually we get the biggest tax breaks possible for our clients because we go by the letter of the law. But from an integrity perspective, people are challenged that to say, well, actually, you're using your size, you're using your expertise of recruiting people from the, um, you know, the, the revenue and revenue to gain benefits for your clients, which the normal business or man in the street, woman in the street does not achieve. So I challenged him around the fair tax mark. That for me was, was a good conversation, was an answer. So I just wanted to ask you, where do you see that in operation? Is choosing to be honest and integrity, and because there's not always a straight line. You know, there's not always a fine. There can be a fine dividing line, and different views around this. Yeah, I think again in the industrial age and in, 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 in that sort of world of power that we that we've experienced, being honest often meant don't break the law. You know, as long as you don't break the law, you're honest. Uh, but of course, the law is always a reflection of the moral climate of a culture. And it often is trying to, it's often a lagging indicator of the moral climate of, of a culture. So actually the, the moral expectation 
is where we get integrity. There, there is a moral expectation. There's a legal ex- expectation. Your tax example is a good example. You know, legally, I haven't done anything wrong. But morally, in this current culture in 2021, I am perceived to be exploiting the situation or I'm perceived to be dishonest because uh, I'm not taking account of the unintended consequences of my behaviors, even though they're legal. Mm -hmm. So I think this is what a lot of leaders are are trying to work out in their heads is that this habit is not about saying, don't break the law. It's about going beyond that as an expectation and saying, what is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to do here? And that question is a very important and difficult question, but it's becoming a more complex question. What is the right thing to do by our shareholders? What is the right thing to do by our staff? What is the right thing to do by our customers? What is the right thing to do by public opinion? You know, so it's a complex uh, world that we're that we're leading in now. Um, you know, and I don't make any apologies for that being difficult, um, and I totally empathise with it being difficult. But, but we, I think, as leaders, we do have to sense that um, being honest now is is something more complex than simply not breaking the law. Oh, thank you, John. I really, I really love that. Love that answer. I think I was going to say, you speak again in the book and you touched on it today about today's culture has this red pill of transparency so people can see more and more about what's what in the past would not have been available. And so I think you're right, things are shifting. And what I love is I, I really get the sense of the trusted executive model enabling organizations to have these sorts of conversations like we're having today, but to have them specifically for their organization, what it means for them. And I really then sense when these issues get discussed, it improves trust because people then actually know we're having, we're, we're speaking the unspeakable, we're having conversations about it. And it's been proved from research basis that that's one of the elements that, that improves trust. And just on the transparency, one very interesting for those listening, we know through social media, you know, there's things such, I think it's Glassdoor that starts publishing wages of, of people in different organisations. But the interesting thing is one company people may have heard of, Buffer, as a social media company, they chose, for choosing to be honest, when they founded, they chose to publish every employee's salary online on an Excel spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. So, so they're not every organisation is going to do that, but I put that in place, as, as you said, that choosing to be honest, this is shifting as to where do you place this. And I think it's important, John, because uh, to consider this, because just the other day I had a female colleague that, that, that said to me, she found out through something else that she, although she'd got a bigger client account, et cetera, et cetera, she was pay, being paid less than her male equivalent in that organization. That, and she didn't know that until you know later on. So this aspect of choosing, to be honest, is just a sense that it's, it's a really important discussion to have you know, in these days and these times. And particularly, as you, as you, again, you speak in the book about the triple bottom line. It's no longer just about the profit or the organization. We're now, I think, walking in a, in a bigger and a deeper narrative. Yeah, yeah. And that, just picking up on your point about how important it is to have the conversation. When I do workshops on this model mm-hmm. with leaders and we do, a, we do a self-assessment around which is the one habit that you right now could focus on to take your trustworthiness to the next level. And you know what? Um, nobody ever chooses the habit of being honest as the habit that they want to work on. 
And I think, you know, why is that? Nobody wants to be the dishonest person in the room. You know, people don't mind being the one who needs to coach better or the one who uh, needs to be kinder or the one who needs to be braver. But when you bring this word honesty into the room, no one wants to be the dishonest person in the room. And yet we all know that there are times when we are dishonest, but we can't talk about it. This is a habit that triggers shame in people. And um, the problem with that is that because it triggers shame, we don't talk about it. And because we don't talk about it, we sweep it under the carpet and then bad things happen because we haven't talked about it. So what I'm hoping over time is that we, we can get braver to talk about our lack of honesty, you know, because I know I have it. I know, David, you have it. We all know everybody has it. Um, so let's, let's get over ourselves and say, yes, there are times when we are tempted to be dishonest. Let's talk about it because if we don't talk about it, we're not going to um, collectively improve around this habit. And I know I'm not on any, any commission on sales of your book, but I know in your book, and I want you to just final point on this, you speak in your book about, because the question I was going to ask, well, how do we do this, John? And I know you talk about appointing a sheriff for honesty in your book and four questions they might ask you. Could you yeah. share a little bit about that? Because I was fascinated when I read that. Yes, I, I talk in the book about um, every town needs a sheriff. Um, it, was a, it was a comment that one of my uh, CEOs that I interviewed for the research said, every town needs a sheriff. And I thought, great, that, that's good. You know, I think it's true. Because we are all worse at this probably than we like to think, um, we, we need someone in our lives who is able to speak the truth to us mm. about our lack of honesty. And so as an example, you know, my, my wife is my sheriff. My wife, Jane, is, is my sheriff. But I, I also had a coach who was my sheriff. And I remember talking to her about my LinkedIn account mm. and I'd, I'd mentioned a client name on my LinkedIn account. I don't know how it came up in the conversation, but she said to me, um, uh, did you get permission from uh, that uh, client to mention their name? And I thought, oh, crikey. No, I didn't. Um, and, I, and I said, no, I didn't. And she said, well, what, what do you think about that? And I said, well, <laughs> it's not right, <laughs> is it? <laughs> then she said, well, what are you going to do about it? I said, well, I'm going to go and contact that person straight after this call and ask for their permission. So that's what I mean by being a sheriff. You know, um, it's it's the person who who is willing to point at the the little um, temptation that you had to not be ruthlessly honest. And I talk about the the questions that the the sheriff uh, asks um, in in the book, uh, David. You mentioned them that you know great sheriffs when they're when they're working with. Uh, business leaders, you know, say I as a, as a coach and, and the business leader's got a dilemma involving honesty. These are the questions that we, we want to ask, you know, is what would you be doing regarding this situation if your decision was featured on the front page of tomorrow's national newspapers? Because that puts them into the context of the court of public opinion, which can sometimes be a very ruthless court in terms of honesty. Another question, if you shared this situation with your mother, father, brother or sister, what do you think they would say to you? Because those are people you don't want to let down on the topic of honesty. Third question, if your future grandchildren were discussing your role in this situation, what would make them proud of you? And it reminds me of that of a quote, David, about um, there's only one thing more, uh, more difficult than being a disappointment to your parents, and that's being a disappointment to your grandchildren. Because again, they are the sheriffs of the future that hold you account to account to your future legacy. 
And finally, if you communicated this decision to your suppliers, customers, owners, or partners, what is the most difficult question they would ask you? So we're inviting other people to play the role of sheriff in that situation. So that's what sheriffs do. Those are the questions they ask, and it keeps you honest. And uh, I'm very grateful of the sheriffs in my life, even though at the time they ask those questions, it makes me squirm. I love those questions, John, and I just sense, you know, maybe those listening are already thinking, well, actually, just having a day or a workshop on choosing to be honest could be so powerful for our organisation. And I, I genuinely believe that because I think you've touched on issues there, which as the culture, and I always say the culture is the way we do things around here, the culture can, can squash this sort of debate, these sort of difficult questions being asked. So thank you. I really love that. Um, now, for those listening, they're probably getting some sort of real sense of what the habit choosing to be honest is. But they're also probably curious to think, okay, but what what happens to organizations that actually have actually used the trusted executive model and particularly around this leadership habit? Has it made a real difference in their organization? So as we do, I've actually recorded a short interview beforehand with Fiona Furman, who's communications manager from the NHAL group, who've embedded the trusted executive model in their organization. So we're going to hear from her now on how they've used the habit choosing to be honest. I know you haven't heard this, John, so I'm looking forward to your response. So once again, I'm with Fiona Furman, the communications manager with NAHL Group, a group of consumer legal businesses, including National Accident Helpline. And as an organization, NAHL are using the trusted executive framework to empower the way they work and serve their customers. Now, today we move on to the second pillar of trustworthiness, that of integrity which means really the extent of which we walk our talk. And we're moving on to the fourth leadership habit, choosing to be honest. So Fiona, how have you used the fourth leadership habit, choosing to be honest within NHAL to make a real difference in your organization? Yeah, I mean, what I love about this is that it's prefixed with choosing to be honest and it is a choice um, and I think as businesses we do have that choice about how honest we, we decide we're going to be in, in all of our interactions and a lot of my job is uh, to do with our internal customers so our staff I work in internal communications and um, in September last year we uh, received an approach from another business uh, with a view to potentially buying our business and um, it became really clear that many of our colleagues hadn't been through anything like this before they had no frame of reference for it they had um, nothing really to draw on about how this would work group finance uh, officer who was kind of taking care of, the, of, of that project for us we did a Q&A with him so I recorded a vlog with him where um, we just went through the kind of how does this sort of process work? How long does it normally take? What kind of uh, stumbling blocks can sometimes get in the way? What, what can we expect as, as a staff body to experience during this time? And it was so, so important you know, say that when these messages go out as, as a PLC, a listed, listed business, these messages go out to the market. And unless they're broken down a little, a little bit more, it can be really hard for us to get underneath those messages and find out what they really mean for us. So to have, as a matter of course, with our staff, what we call biscuit briefings so once a month we come together with the whole staff body get some updates from around the business but we also try and include q a's there as well and certainly during this time uh, we did a special q a around around the, the potential takeover bid and asked people to submit 
their questions and really honest questions from from our staff on answered really honestly by our leaders um so people are asking all the kind of questions you'd expect will there be redundancies will there be, be issues with where we're going to work or you know what does this mean for us um what does this mean for you know the, the kind of things we've got in place the benefits and things we've got in place now will they be assumed into the business will we keep what we have all these questions were answered so honestly so it wasn't the huge upheaval that it could have been of course there was nervousness and, and people you know had, had their concerns what it, what it might mean for them but it never felt overwhelming and I absolutely believe that that's because we chose to be honest with our people we chose to give them opportunities to honestly ask questions and we chose then to answer them with the honesty that they deserved um, and we spoke kind of before before we started of how this honesty sometimes can feel uneasy because you're not sure how people are going to receive it but so I just want to honor honor that honesty so so thank you for that example and as we do in these conversations just digging a little deeper for you what for you has been a personal insight or personal growth moment through choosing to be honest with this leadership habit yeah I mean I've been I've been thinking about that a little bit and I think I think for me what I've come to realize is that when leaders are honest with staff then it gives great clarity mm-hmm. and I think we as, as a staff body we all need clarity so we know how to respond and within all of that as well there's there's this sense if we're not honest then our people can fill the empty space and I think that's that's a real concern we can fill the empty space with things that maybe aren't true or things that are supposed or imagined or um you know we can bring in previous experience that wasn't good and say oh this happened to me before and and, it, and you know when this happens it means this um and actually that that isn't the case so i think for me the um the real light bulb moment was just recognizing that um a lack of honesty can create a vacuum uh, that can then be filled with less honest information uh, and the impact that can then have on on a business and on its culture and on its its people as individuals can can be very very difficult mm. Thank you. That's a beautiful personal insight. So thank you, Fiona. I'm looking forward to what John says about this. Um, thank you for being here. And I really appreciate your sharing. Thank you, David. So John, that's Fiona speaking about um, the habit of choosing to be open. I'm interested to hear your response on what she shared. Yeah, if I take her second um, point first, uh, David, uh, she reminded me of that quote about nature abhors a vacuum that you know if you don't speak your truth into a situation and you leave as a leader you create a vacuum and nature abhors a vacuum so a vacuum will always be filled so a vacuum of honesty will always be filled by other people's uh, perceptions and the difficulty that in the current uh, environment that we're in is there's a lot of cynicism around leadership and we we know that trust levels are a historic lows in a lot of uh, institutions Therefore, if you leave a vacuum, the uh, the substitute uh, view that's uh, put into that vacuum is likely to be a, a more cynical view. And uh, that's when we can start to, you know, uh, the jungle drums start to sort of undermine the honesty of that um, culture. So I think that's a really important point about don't let a vacuum appear around honesty. If in doubt, speak rather than hold back. Um, and her first point was about the, the biscuit briefings. Again, the sort of uh, fear, the fear that a lot of leaders have that if we tell them about this, you know, it will cause pandemonium, there'll be chaos, there'll be riots in the streets. <laughs> now, that's a fear. That's a fear, you know, and we want to protect people and we want to sort of make things sound better than they really are. And I think some of this honesty habit is trusting your staff to be adults and strong and resilient to hold them 
hold them big, you know, in your minds. You know, they can handle it. They can take this. They can handle the truth. Um, what they can't handle is the lack of the truth. And I think, uh, you know, again, it's that if in doubt, speak earlier and speak more fully around sensitive topics and do it with that compassion. You know, the other habits that, <clears throat> that we talk about in this model, you know, the habits of, uh, of benevolence, you know, you can still speak a difficult truth in a benevolent style. You can still care about people whilst communicating a very difficult truth. And obviously in the last 12 months with the pandemic, there's been a lot of difficult truths. And, and there is that temptation for leaders to sugarcoat the bitter pill. And we're saying, no, don't sugarcoat the bitter pill because people, people know, they see through it too, too quickly. They just, just give me the truth. That's what I think we, we owe to our, uh, to our stakeholders. I think that itself is so true, John. I know in, in my career, I was part of an organization that went into administration and the, there was a bid that came in that actually was successful for the organization. And I was heading up, um, uh, well, it was the finance director above me, but I was heading up the finance team as finance controller. And my team, we didn't know what was happening. But when I heard actually that we were being taken over and then I was told that actually they didn't want the finance team, I absolutely the thing, I don't know if I can be honest and tell them at this stage, it may be too early, I know this. But I got permission to share and I thought, well, they will be able to handle it and cope with it. But what I learned was they really thanked me and they said, thank you, David, we now know what's happening we didn't know when sure where we are. Yes, we're sad, but now we can work together. And actually, the atmosphere changed in the office to one of, of actually more a sense of at least we know what we can do now. We can get on with what we what, what was happening. So I think this choosing to be honest, it's about two. It's sometimes from the person delivering it, things. It's not easy, but as you said, the way you then communicate and deliver it can really develop. They had a sense of deeper trust in me then because I was sharing before the information had gone out to the wider, you know, public and other people knew suppliers and and, and the like of. So, um, John, for, um, I was going to say, actually, how does this habit work alongside the other habits in the model, choosing yeah, to be yeah. open? And we've, I think we've, we've just started we've to link with that a little bit in our conversation we've just had, because those habits of benevolence, I'm thinking particularly of the habits of um, bravery and kindness. I think there's a strong link there, because I think, to be honest, you often need to be brave. Uh, what comes before honesty is bravery, um, to communicate that honest truth. But in the communicating of the honest truth, the kindness habit, I think, is particularly critical. I mean, I've known leaders in my life who were able to make people redundant and have a conversation about that. And the people actually left the room feeling two inches taller than when they went in because the incredible kindness that was used in communicating a difficult message. So I think there is a, a strong link between honesty and um, kindness and bravery. I also think there's a strong link between honesty and humility. I mean, we talked earlier about, uh, about the habit of being humble. We talked about diversity earlier and that if you're in an environment where there are many, many different views of the truth and people who have built up a different view of the world from you because of their experiences and their background, then you need to be humble in order to hear their truth and not to have a gut reaction, which is then that, no, I need to impose my truth on you because I'm threatened by the fact that there are more versions of the truth than I ever understood. And I think that humbles us. And, and, if, and if, you are, if you are sufficiently humble, you can be comfortable in an environment where there are different versions of, of the truth. Whereas if you are the opposite of humble, which is being arrogant, you will have great difficulty living in that world because you will have great difficulty not imposing your 
truth upon everybody else in that situation. And that's not the trust building, safe psychological space that we're going to need to create in these diverse and inclusive environments. Mm, so really choosing to be honest really does, I think, and from what you're saying there, it draws people to become more self-aware, to step into the area of uh, really emotional intelligence to uh, and to have an understanding, you know, quite often the words are, you know, me and we, really, which is what emotional intelligence talks about. And I talk about conscious leadership, whatever framework you're looking around that, that there's a sense of actually showing up in a way, possibly for some leaders like they haven't done so before. So there's real growth opportunities. That's the way I actually, you know, see this. And for the same thing, as you just said, you know, recognizing it, sometimes this is often, it's not easy. So no. that's when the courage comes in. So John, we've spoken a lot about, you know, the habit here, choosing to be, be honest and for the listeners out there, where can they, what would you recommend? Where can they get the hands-on further resources and even, you know, hands-on experience of this habit, choosing to be honest, to try out for themselves? Well, David, I would like to recommend a book, uh, you know, to our, to our viewers, um, which I, I reference in, in uh, this chapter. It's a book called um, Bad Blood, Lies and Deceptions in a Silicon Valley Startup. And Bad Blood was written by a reporter, a journalist called John Carreyou. And John Carreyou investigated a company called Theranos in the United States. And this is the most shocking tale of dishonesty that I have come across in recent times in the business world. I mean, Theranos um, raised $700 million of, of funding and at one point was valued at $10 billion. Its uh, CEO, a lady called Elizabeth Holmes, was featured in Forbes as the youngest self-made billionaire in the US. And the board of Theranos contained many of the great and worthy of American institutions. And yet that company was built on a lie. It was actually um, a, a company that was uh, set up to do blood testing. And it was trying to create a, uh, a very efficient, um, quick process for, for blood testing, but it was based on fake technology uh, that basically didn't work. But for 10 years, with the help of many of America's highest paid lawyers, they were able to cover up the truth of that, uh, that fake technology. But of course, eventually, I mean, there's a quote about honesty, which I like, which is uh, Robert uh, Louis Stevenson said, sooner or later, we all sit down to a banquet of consequences. And, and eventually the bank of consequences came for Theranos um, when John Carreyou bravely investigated that company, exposed the truth, and actually that company went bankrupt. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes, the CEO, her, her net worth dropped to zero. She is now subject of a court case, and actually they're making a, a film out of this horrific story. So the reason I recommend that as a resource is you know, if you read that and you realize the impact of dishonesty and how dishonesty can, you know, I sometimes call it, it's like ivy on the, on the side of a building. Once it takes hold, it gets into all the nooks and crannies of the infrastructure and the culture of a, com of a company. And so I think one of the best resources, as I say, is to read about when this goes wrong, to, to really feel the consequences of that. Uh, on people and the reputation and relationships and results of that company. And to think at the end of that book, as you close it and you put it down after finishing the final page, that I never, ever want to be a leader who is involved in a situation like that. 
Um, so that's, let's say, one resource I would give everybody. It's a great book. It's a, if it was a thriller, it would be really entertaining. Problem is, it's true. I think, John, I would link that to, on one hand, you've got, we can see the companies that have done things such as this. And there's always a temptation, although my temptation, to go, well, I'll never be like that. So it's a good read, but I'll never be like that. But I like, again, in the book where you talk about you can have marginal decays in integrity. So it's almost like you can lose it bit by bit. So actually, although we say actually we're not going to do it in one big dishonest lie, but actually if you have these marginal decays in integrity, they're cumulative, I think is yeah. what, what the sense we're getting here. Yeah, I, I contrast the, you know, a lot of us have heard about the aggregation of marginal gains. Mm-hmm but I contrast that with the ag- aggregation of marginal decays in honesty, because I think that is how we lose uh, honesty, you know, very subtly one step at a time. And then all of a sudden we find that somebody's written a book about it because the accumulation of all those choices has, has, has brought the whole culture into disrepute. So, um, so yeah, that, that's a very, very, um, uh, sort of a, a big wake-up call to, to read that book mm. now talking about wake-up calls we've, we've also been t- talking you say in the book about marginal decays and integrity so if we pick up on this um you know i said something i love another thing i love about your book is you have a chapter cracks in the pillar what to do when things go wrong and as i said this is really gritty grounded realism for me as we know you're a pragmatist who walks the talk who honors failures failures but really what we're looking at here is there's going to be times when, as you said, an organisation is going to be called out or they're going to be shown that they weren't honest. So on, from your perspective, what can an organisation do about choosing to be honest when it goes wrong? Yeah, well, particularly for this habit, I think the, the words that come to mind on this in terms of recovering from a breakdown in honesty is to remember the words that say, hope is not a strategy. So in my career, you know, there have been times when things have gone wrong to do with honesty. And there's a great temptation to hope that nobody will find out. But hope is not a strategy. And if I, if I share a personal example of this, um, you know, I had a, a, an honesty challenge. Um, when when my, um, uh, the book that I wrote before, The Trust Executive with Ian Day, Challenging Coaching, when that came out, um, we were doing a lot of PR activity around it. And there was a Sunday afternoon when I was having sort of a, gathering you know with the family it was a social time but the phone rang and it was a journalist from the sunday times who wanted to talk to me about an article in which challenging coaching was being featured now obviously for me this is really exciting it's not every day a journalist from the sunday times rings you up to talk to you so i'm partly i'm in a social setting and i'm suddenly trying to think about work and i'm also my ego has been fueled by this attention from the sunday times and I find myself asking, uh, answering these questions from this journalist in this interview. And the call finished. I came off the call. I went back to the family and joined in. And about two hours later, I suddenly, I could feel the blood drain from my face because I remembered that in the middle of this call, I'd actually told a lie, a barefaced lie. I'd actually attributed a story, a case study, an example to myself that never actually occurred to me. It occurred to somebody else, but in the for the benefit of simplicity, I described it to myself. But I suddenly thought, blimey, this is going to appear in a newspaper. The person who, who whose story this is might read that, and it's not my story. It's their story. And I thought, what do I do? And hope is not a strategy. I could have just sat there and thought, I'll tell you what, I'll just hope that nobody ever notices 
But thinking of the habits in this model, the habit of humility, the habit of being uh, open, I swallowed my pride and I rang that journalist back and I said, look, you need to know that, I, that what I've just said to you wasn't true. Uh, she was a bit shocked and I felt, you know, so ashamed of this, uh, of this uh, happening. But she thanked me for ringing her. She published the story without the, uh, without the article, without the story. And, you know, I learned a very big lesson. Mm. So I learned a lesson that, you know, I, like anybody else, can be tempted to be dishonest. But I also learned the lesson about when it happens, don't just hope. Actually think about these other habits. Think about being open. Think about being humble. Say sorry. Confess. Um, and, you know, you can, you can recover a, a great deal through, you know, putting yourself into that humble situation and, um, and being open about what has happened. Thank you, John. And really a great example of you kind of dived, if you like, I think, into, into our next question, which is around choosing to dive a bit deeper in that you've given a real, you know, a real life personal example of how you've we've been speaking about walking the talk about integrity and how you've actually chosen to do that. And, and really you've shared some of your passion around the habit. So what I'm going to do actually is say, actually, we've already started going deeper, I think, in this one, because uh, this part says I invite you to be vulnerable and, and go explore both and go a bit deeper. So, uh, so I honour your your honesty in sharing that. But if we continue with this, really, the, the point of what we're moving into here really is this, which you've beautifully highlighted, is the fact that this model is something that you're not only spending you know, six years researching it, it's something that means something to you. Um, so if there's anything else you want to say about, you know, you've explained quite beautifully about the habit for you, why it's important. If there's anything else you'd like to add about that and just go a little bit deeper as to why choosing to, to be honest is, is so important to you. Yeah, sure. I mean, as, as you say, in that last um, story, I think I sort of I used the word, I think, at one point about confessing mm -hmm. you know, that one of the ways to recover from a lapse in, in, in honesty is to confess. And of course, that speaks a little bit to my faith, you know, that, that uh, you know, I have a Christian faith and repenting, you know, which is quite a quite a strong word and quite an old fashioned word. But, you know, as Christians, we're, we're taught that, um, you know, we all do make mistakes. You know, um, we, we're all sinners, as, um, you know, uh, Christian uh, theology would, would refer to it. And that the way to deal with with that fact is to repent, is to acknowledge that you will fall down, you will make mistakes, um, but when you do, uh, it's about turning again towards the truth um, and knowing that you will continually have to do that turning again, uh, that choosing again. You know, that's why these habits talk about choosing, because sometimes we make the wrong choice, and the way we recover from making the wrong choice is to make a new choice, mm -hmm. to go back, to where we started uh, and you know to to recommit so i think there is a, an element of honesty that um that speaks to that theme in in and certainly in the in, in the christian faith and uh, and obviously uh, you know jesus was someone who who spoke about the truth a lot a lot you know i mean i just looking up before this call you know that in the space of like 12 verses in the, in the Gospel of John, you know, Jesus says, uh, you know, verse 32, um, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. And finally, John chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So this, this word truth was obviously clearly was a, a very um, powerful and uh, important word, you know, in the Christian tradition. And definitely that's uh, part of what fuels my aspirations and inspirations in this area. So are there, I'm trying, trying to, I think I have one myself, are there any examples that you see, you know, as Jesus as, as, a, as a leader, where perhaps he was, was pulled upon something and he actually then did demonstrate the habit choosing to be, choosing to be honest? Well, the, the most difficult challenge I think that Jesus faced um, in choosing to be honest was that he knew who he was. And, it, and if, if when people asked him the honest truth, who are you? His answer was, I am the son of God, which actually provoked everybody around him, particularly the institutional leaders, the religious institutional leaders of the time who thought that that was blasphemous. So when we talked earlier about speaking your truth and having the bravery to do that, there is no more difficult truth to speak than to say, I am the son of God to a, uh, you know, a religious zealot in, in the year zero, you know, AD. So I think, um, you know, that was the most honest thing that uh, that jesus did but he paid for that with his life yeah um so i think you know what we see there is um, an example of uh, of how incredibly honest um uh, jesus was if you believed in him you know so uh, and again not everybody does so you know it's 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 again where you know some people would still argue about the honesty of that statement and i would respect that mm-hmm. um but but for me he is speaking a truth that i share um, so, so I think I can't, I can't think immediately, David, of a time when Jesus was dishonest. Um, I must admit, I can't immediately think of, of a time I'd have to sort of go and, uh, look and, and look and delve a bit deeper to see if that, that, that there is a, an example of that. Um, but I can't immediately think of one. I think I, I think I have one. I have one, first of all, just, just to share, I think, because what I'm saying, actually, which we haven't spoken of, so it's a really interesting perspective in that he called others into honesty. And the, the example that comes to mind was when the woman was being stoned and he said, he without sin cast the first stone. So all of them waiting to stone her suddenly realised if they were going to be honest to themselves, they too had done things which meant that they weren't entitled to stone this woman. Yeah. So that was a very powerful example of calling people in. And if I'm right, John, and this is off the top of my head, so I will have to look this up. But I think there's one passage where a woman comes up to the table and Jesus brushes her away. And she says something like, even the dogs eat the scraps under the table. And I think then if I'm correct, he goes back and he reassesses what he's just said and goes back to her. So from that perspective, you know, it's those sort of instances that I enjoy from the gospel because it shows the humanness and then how he responded. Almost like you phoning the journalist back. I think he then went back to the woman and kind of said in commonplace language, you've got a fair point. Right. Yes, I, you know, what you said is, is so. Mm-hmm. um so it's a sense that everyone can get caught out or get or, you know and there's and there's examples i think of most of the spiritual leaders where people say actually you weren't being honest or we didn't see the full truth or your truth was not actually the truth that actually people understood as being the truth and they had to then reassess where they were so it's it's such a powerful thing choosing to to be honest because it's mm-hmm. as you said it's not just looking at yourself and one thing that came to me i think is that and I'm sure for Jesus' perspective, 
with disciples around in the sense is once you kind of say you're choosing to be honest then as you said you can have sheriffs around you but it's almost like everyone around you then is watching and and has a sense of well is this absolutely so or not so there's a there's accountability there i think you talk about accountability isn't there and a transparent accountability what i mean by that is that if there's something there people feel they can raise it with you it doesn't get brushed on the carpet because they can say actually I'm not sure that was the right thing and they know that the leader will say I don't explain more about that. Actually, yes, I do need to reflect on that. Thank you for raising that. Yeah. As opposed to being closed down. So, and that's where I think possibly where some of the you know these these marginal things can happen. You know, the VW admissions you know, scandal and all these sort of things where people aren't allowed to question. So the choosing to be honest is not on the table. You know, I worked for Barclays at the time the PPI scandal. And I did raise questions as to what was going on, but we're just told this is the way we do things around here. It's not in your area. Don't worry about it. So the culture was not there really to have a full, frank, open discussion around what was really happening here. Yeah. And of course, if you're in that situation, you you then have a very difficult choice to make, don't you, in terms of as an individual. I was reading an article yesterday, just yesterday, about the Challenger space shuttle disaster. And um, uh, forgive me because I'm not, I can't remember the full details of it, but it basically boiled down to that one of the engineers who inspected the Challenger the night before it was launched objected and felt that the risks were too high, um, spoke his truth and and was sanctioned for that. But it later became the proudest moment of his life. Mm -hmm. Um, And that he testified then at the inquiry into the Challenger spatial disaster and his, again, his honesty that he spoke then, even though, again, it cost him personally, did lead to the right actions being taken to learn the lessons from that disaster. So when we're put in cultures that are encouraging us to be dishonest, we have then our own personal choice to make, don't we, about where are our limits and, and how brave can we be to stand up in that situation and, uh, and declare you know, the truth. Mm, totally john and talking about but bravely or being vulnerable i guess i also know that you've published a book coaching poetry from a spiritual path where you say whatever your own spirit religious beliefs these poems will challenge you to think deeply and inspire you to take the next step on your own spiritual path your leadership path so really at this stage i invite you to share from this book a poem you think really speaks to this habit of uh, choosing to be honest yeah. Now, David, today you have a choice. You are going to choose. Because there were two poems that I came across when I looked at this last night, and I thought I can't really decide between these two. So I'm going to let you make the final choice. There is one poem that I could share called Ha Ha English. And there is another poem that I could share called The Dogs Are Coming. Um, and uh, basically, I'm just going to allow you to do the coin toss on it and uh, direct me into which one of these you want me to share. They both sound interesting. I'm going to go for the second one. The, oh, dog, the oh. dogs are coming, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, this is a poem written in 2012. Um, I didn't realise it at the time, but it's actually a poem about fake news, um, about post-truth. And uh, obviously that links strongly to our theme today about honesty. I, I didn't know it was about fake news at the time because the, word fake, the phrase fake news didn't exist in 2012. But when I read it now, I realise that that's what it... Um, alluded to the dogs are coming and then you see this is an interesting title isn't it who was the dog that i was referring to that was coming Mm. that didn't that we didn't know about in 2012 
but we do know about now and, and, and is often associated with this phrase, um, fake news. Anyway, here we go. The dogs are coming. Nothing is subversive. Nothing is sacred. All the lines are blurred. The scenery shifting. You don't know where you stand because what you stand on is thinking. What you are breathing is a mixture of this and that, that and this. You are hypnotized. Yes, you are hypnotized, entranced in trance and goggle-eyed. Your conscious mind is asleep. So in flies the buzzing host of lies. Your doors are swinging open, unhinged. It scares the horses, this whispering wind, that you let in, let in, keep letting in. You are hypnotized. Yes, you are hypnotized, unprotected, defiled by a daily diatribe, bent double by undigested flick and flack, pommeled flat by a stampeding herd, who heard that you were easy fare, ropeless, hopeless, love-shattered pride, left in the gutter with nothing to hide. Are you now satisfied that, unlike this poem, your dream will never end? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. And you really got me thinking about, you know, for those leaders listening to this podcast, maybe they would want to play that at a leadership team meeting or even perhaps read from your book, you know, on that and and, and get that. Because that's what I love about your poems, that actually they get me to, they take me to that deeper place and get me to reflect on what this means for me and, and help me see areas of, of that I haven't perhaps thought of or felt before. So thank you for that sharing. Thank you for inviting me to share. <laughs> Now, finally, for those that are, that are that are listening, what's the best way for them to discover or explore the nine habits of trust? You know, whether it's through a key note or workshop program or whatever. Um, how would you like to invite them to find out more? Yeah, well, you know, there's there's the book, David. We, we've talked a lot about the book today. Obviously, books are an incredibly uh, cheap way yeah. of accessing um, information. So there's the book. Obviously, I, I deliver uh, keynote sessions for leaders and their teams at various conferences on the topic of the nine habits of trust. And then we have a team here at the Trust Executive Foundation. We're a not-for-profit. Our mission is to create a new standard of leadership defined by trustworthiness. And, um, you know, the team is available to support, you know, workshops, deeper dives into specific habits, individual and team coaching to help leaders who want to make more of these choices and who want to build that reputation for trust and that high trust culture. So, you know, we have this uh, journey of trust program, um, but it very much starts with what we call the discovery stage, which is, you know, just to dip your toes in the water, find out about the model, see if there is that appetite, um, you know, in you and your colleagues to, uh, to go on this journey. Um, and we'd be delighted to, to help wherever we can. And just one, just one clarifying question on this. In your experience when you've introduced it to organisations, how does it sit alongside their existing models of, of uh, you know, governance, of doing things? Do they have to throw things away? How does a trusted executive model fit in with the existing frameworks that they're, that they're already using? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, you know, because most organisations will have some values um, that they already have. And um, what we do early on in any engagement is to to map the values to the nine habits 
of trust. And what we typically find is that the values sit at this level. And one of the values indeed might be might be trust, whereas the habits sit at um, a more detailed behavioral level. And we can map those habits to existing values and therefore create, you know, a single narrative um, that makes sense and is cohesive for, for, for the staff. So we're, we're not sort of talking about ripping out, ripping out things that are already there and, and putting something uh, new in its place. We're really talking about how do we bring your values to life through this behavioral model of trust and, and doing the mapping between, uh, between that so that we can um, you know, make it an evolution from what, what, it, what it already exists. Mm, thank you, John. I hadn't I hadn't realised that. Well, you having said that, I suddenly get this aspect of how the model can be used to help embody the values of the organisation. And the organisations I come across, quite often they'll be honest and say we struggle in embodying our values. So I can see that's one way of how they can, they can really help. So thank you for that. And thank you, John, for stepping out into the business world with a real heart and a passion for supporting businesses to be the very best they can. And I invite you just to say a few closing words to those listening. Yeah, I suppose the closing words are, um, I hope, as always, that there's one nugget that you've taken from the last 45 minutes that you and I have been uh, talking with Fiona as well. I hope if there's just one nugget, one phrase, one uh, little sort of insight that would just motivate you to say, yeah, I get this. Um, I want to be part of this tribe. I want to be part of this trust tribe. And, And I'm taking away one thing that I could do that would allow me to take the next step. Uh, and I just want to encourage you to take that next step and to know that you're not alone and that there is a tribe of people who really want to um, put trust at the heart of uh, a business life. Mm, thank you, John. And I'm already looking forward to the next one, which is habit number five, choosing to be open. Um, so until next time, may all those listening have a wonderful day and thank you for listening and do pass it on to any of those you think that might be interested to have a listen to this podcast and this uh, video YouTube as well. So thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you all. Thank you.